The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to episode 213 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of OTM and TDG. What's up, Keaton? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Be doing a little bit better if the Red Sox get some wins here against Detroit. Yeah, me too, man. Um, a little bit of a tough series coming off of... Uh, dropping three out of four against Texas, definitely, uh, you know, all those games felt pretty winnable. Even the first one felt pretty winnable. Um, but you know, unfortunately that's the result. Things are going to go that way sometimes. Uh, if you want to hear about that series, definitely check out the precap podcast with Keaton and Shelly. Um, so the Red Sox head into the series tomorrow against the Lily Tigers. Uh, they are still atop the AL East. Um, they are 17 and 12 at this point, just a game and a half up on the Blue Jays. Um, Blue Jays have actually uh, surpassed the Red Sox in run differential right now, plus 23 to the Red Sox, plus 20. Sox have gone just eight and nine since the end of this nine-game win streak. Um, but this was just the second series they've lost all year, so I mean things are still looking pretty good for for the Red Sox here. How are you feeling at this point? I still feel pretty good. Um, this even going you know, eight nine, this entire start, seventeen and twelve start, is much better than I thought they'd start. So, yeah, that that feels good. the The part I mentioned it on the like mentioned it ever so slightly on the precap because it's just a short podcast. But I'm I've got the the worries that they're starting to play to their competition, mm. not to their potential. Uh, you know they split with Seattle, which who Seattle was in first place at the time, but we we talked about how that was a bit fluky, um, and their pitching was actually like much worse than that. Then they had a really good two game series win against the Mets, which is a really good team, particularly Jake Degrom. And then they lost three out of four to the Rangers, and they have three straight series against last place teams in the American League. And if they struggle through that entire set. That doesn't give me a lot of confidence in how this team will do going forward. Like, you got to get the wins against the teams you're supposed to beat and then hold your own against the others. And if they just keep kind of like only bringing their A game against tough teams, then that's how you end up 81 and 81 or worse. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm I, definitely not concerned yet, but I agree with you. If like they really struggle against Detroit and Baltimore here, then... You know, I'm gonna have a little bit of uh, concern, especially against Detroit, man. You gotta, you gotta almost sweep against Detroit because of how yeah. horrendous a baseball team they are. Um, it does feel like in the series that they've kind of just split or or even lost here recently. Like you know, splitting with the Blue Jays uh, was was fine. They're a good team. Um, Seattle, you know, splitting with them, I, I felt like some weird things happened in that series. You know, there was. Some random guys who um, who went off. I think like um, Haggerty uh, had like a yeah. pretty incredible series, um, and then in this one, uh, 
Kiner Falefa like was on fire the entire series. It seemed like every time he got up, he was doing something ridiculous. So uh, yeah. sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw, and and it seems like they've run into some guys at the wrong time. Maybe that is a little bit of a a statement about the Red Sox pitching being a little bit more vulnerable. But you know, uh, I I haven't seen anything that is like overly concerning, and even this like. The bullpen coughing it up in two of these games. We're going to push this a little bit later in the pod, but we can just talk about it now Like as, as a couple of the negatives. I mean, Matt Andrees coughing up the lead on Saturday. Salamora didn't look good. Erod looked really hittable in that game. And then on Sunday, Whitlock and Ottavino. Um, it, there seemed like there was going to be some correction coming from, from the bullpen, how they've performed so well this, this, to this point. Yeah, I mean, Ottavino is has had struggles. He's been a bit of a disappointment so far. Um, but I think the rest were. I mean, and Whitlock even. I mean, he didn't really have. He gave up a home run, but it wasn't really that bad of an inning. Uh, outside of that, and came back and struck out the next guy, which was good to see that rebound. So I think uh, Darwin Hernandez also has just been a monster in his yeah. last three outings. Uh, three innings pitched, eight strikeouts, and I think only one hit. It's kind of hard to be much better than that. So there's like he had a correction in a positive way, while some others had a correction in a negative way. But I still have uh, general optimism overall about what the bullpen is providing. Yeah, me too. I I am a little bit worried about the Red Sox home cooking. Um, it seems to have been a trend over the last couple of years that the Red Sox have kind of scuffled a little bit more at home. I mean, last year they scuffled everywhere, but you know, <laughs> yeah. eight and eight at home uh, this year versus nine and four away. It just feels like that's been a little bit more difficult for them. And I wonder as the weather heats up and Fenway starts to get more fans, we're going to get up to ninety five hundred fans here soon. Uh, at Fenway Park. I mean, do you think that's ultimately going to be a positive thing for them, or do you think that's going to add more pressure? That should be a positive thing. I think so, too. I mean, I just... I I haven't been to a, a packed house at, uh, at Fenway since 2019, and the energy there is just always so good. So, yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm actually going on my first game here May 15th against um, the Angels. So that should be an interesting game, and it looks like... I might get a um, Perez start that day. So, gonna wear the shirt? Oh, but I have to. I have to wear the Perez Day shirt if I'm, if I'm going to see Perez. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. All right, let's get to some good stuff here before we we break down the bad stuff. Today's pod, we're gonna hit on some good things, some bad things, and we'll get to some questions. So it's not gonna be an overly long podcast, but we are going to talk about uh, some some big things um and and just a little teaser stay with us in the bad things section of this show we are going to talk about the struggles of bobby dahlbeck hunter renfro franchi cordero and then the options that they have to replace those guys but let's start off with the good things keaton um you were getting a lot of chirping at you about garrett richards uh and he has completely turned it around over his last two starts they've both been excellent uh what have you seen as the difference and Garrett Richards over these last two starts? Uh, well, I should have dug in uh, more um, on what's been different. But when I wrote my article, it was after his third start of the season. So now we're up to six starts. And um, what jumped out to me was his spin rates were all over the place in his first two starts. Uh, and then the highest that they had ever been in his third start. And that, to me, signaled that um, what you had kind of suggested was that he was still working through some mechanical issues. And I actually think after his fifth start, he had mentioned that he was still dealing with it. But it seemed like he had kind of figured out whatever it was, um, but was still walking a ton of people. So it just it seemed like there was just some some weird junk there. But his last two starts, his spin rates, again, in particular for his curveball, uh, were way back up when they when he was struggling in his first start and his fourth start they were down um almost 400 rpm on his curveball which is just an an absurd amount of rotation that he was not getting on that pitch 
Uh, and then the last two starts, he finally ditched the walk issues. So I saw on Twitter someone had mentioned um, they thought that it might have been his position on the mound was part mm-hmm. of it, and that he had shifted a bit on the mound, and his release points had moved because of that, and he was getting a lot more success of it, which uh, I did not dig into. But the other piece I noticed that's something that um, you and I talked about on one of the previous shows. I don't remember how long ago it was. Um, but the, his fastball velocity was up to 95 in his last start, which is right where he normally is. It had been around uh, 93 through his first three starts and then has slowly ticked up, uh, went to 93 and a half, 94, and then 95 in his last start. So uh, walks are fixed, spin rates fixed, velocities fixed. I think this is the Garrett Richards we should be getting going forward, which is exactly the guy that I fell in love with. Yeah, uh, he's looked great. Um, And I've seen both of his good starts as well as all of his bad starts. So I guess I've seen all of the Garrett Richards this year. Um, And in the last two starts, in addition to some of the things that you've mentioned, I noticed that his delivery has been a lot more slow and deliberate. um, And he seems to be much more balanced. Uh, and the other thing is he's got complete confidence with this curveball of his. He's thrown it exactly 21.5% of the time over the last two starts. Um, and he's throwing it right now at the highest rate of his career. Um, that is pretty impressive. I mean, we've always thought about Garrett Richards as a true fastball slider, kind of two-pitch guy, mixes in some other stuff, but you know, never really reliant on it but he's been very confident at times it's looked like the best pitch in his repertoire and also you know he's not yanking any pitches the the uh last couple of starts which is huge and i think that's why we've seen the walks completely evaporate and the fastball be so much more effective so um it really did seem like whatever work he did with dave bush really um you know helped uh in a huge way um I mean, Bush Bush seems to be able to, to to maximize Richards, and it's nice to see that he was able to figure this out and kind of kind of fix it on the fly. Because uh, what we're seeing now is kind of what we all signed up for here. It's it's impressive. Yeah, I wish I could remember who the batter was, but he had an incredible sequence um, in his last start where he started with a, a curveball uh, that dropped in for a strike, started above the strike zone, dropped in, and he dotted a fastball on the outside part of the plate. And then bounced a curveball for a check swing and strike three. And it was just that north to south movement uh, in the pitch sequencing was just chef's kiss. It was just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's looked great. Um, especially, you know, when, when he's able to have that really clean delivery, that fastball just has so much late life on it. Um, it's, it's electric, so... Obviously, I'm uh, going to look for him to continue what he's doing. He seems very confident right now, and uh, it's awesome because we were both super excited about him this year. Uh, more good things. Top part of the lineup continues to just absolutely annihilate the baseball. Uh, Alex Verdugo is a true joy to watch. Um, you know, JD's been awesome. Bogarts is awesome. Devers has been great. Um, the, the top part of the, the offense is really just carrying it. I want to just spend a a couple moments here just gushing about Verdugo, and it seems like I have to do this every episode now where I want to. (laughs) Um, But you know what? I I just love his body control. When he's up at the the plate, he seems to have a perfect sense of exactly where the strike zone is all the time, just an elite, elite understanding of the strike zone. And then he's just – he never tries to do too much with a pitch, which is the thing that I love about watching him is just – he knows how to get the bat on the ball and not try and do too much with it, poking it the other way. He's just – he's incredible at that. I've loved the defense. I've loved the energy. Um, I just I – have a I have trouble imagining that this team is where it is right now without Alex Verdugo. And there's like some intangible that I think, you know, like uh, – Michael Jordan's secret stuff from Space Jam or something where like Verdugo's <laughs> energy is just it's wearing off on everybody else in the clubhouse and it just seems like it's infectious. All the more reason he should be the leadoff guy and you should immediately start the game with that kind of energy. 
I agree. I, I totally agree. Um, and we actually did get a listener question on that um, from Alex, the writer. He says, what do you all think about putting Verdugo in the leadoff spot and moving Kike down the lineup or even to the two hole? Um, I think we're both fully on board with that. And we've been on board with that since the beginning of the, beginning of the year. Right. <laughs> like uh, Verdugo's skill set is much more suited to being a leadoff guy. Um there is something to batting, you know, your best guys second. I think sabermetrics say you want to hit your best guy second, but I think that, you know, we wouldn't say Verdugo is the best hitter on the team. Probably Bogarts or Devers is the best hitter on the team. Yeah, I was going to say, I liked the, uh, you know, the end of 2020. It was Verdugo, Devers, Bogarts, Martinez. I really liked that Yeah, one through four. And I wish they'd go back to it. I like that too. I wonder with this whole thing with with Kike, um, which we aren't seeing yet because Kike's got an 85 WRC plus on the year. He's been productive. I'm not going to complain about him. I like the defense. I like what he's bringing to the game. The energy is a 277 OVP. That cannot be your leadoff hit. It. Yeah, it's just not efficient. Um, the the numbers don't lie there. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that they can continue to do this. I think what Coro was hoping would happen was putting Kike in this position would sort of propel him to another level. But I just don't think that, like, even though you want that to happen and you want to see this evolution from Kike, it's clear we're just not seeing it because he's just not that kind of player. He's a complimentary guy um, and a very good one, but still a complimentary guy. It's kind of like trying to will Brock Holt into being, you know, a true all-star, even though we know Brock Holt is just a really great complimentary piece. That's what Kike is, I think. Yes, I agree. And I think he would complement the struggles of the bottom of the order so well. Yeah, I agree. Um, there was just, you know, the, well, you know, why don't you elaborate on that? Because I think you and I are thinking the same thing about what he would do for the bottom part of the lineup. Well, I mean, kind of like the, you say the energy, like the the energy of the bottom of the, or- the order right now is just so lacking. Um, like really sticking him anywhere like six, seven, eight, nine, I think would just kind of, it would spice up the swing and miss there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, he has his, his contact issues, but his strikeouts generally aren't all that bad. Yeah. Um, it's just the overall getting on base part that he struggles with. So, um, just throwing him in the mix there. So you don't have like three easy strikeouts. I think would do a lot to kind of mix up how pitchers approach the bottom of the order. And we might be able to see these guys get some more things to hit. Yeah, I completely agree. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Cause there's been a lot of situations with men on base, especially with the clip that these guys that we just mentioned are getting on base where, you know, the bottom of the lineup comes, comes up and it's just, I've, I've seen it with bases loaded, no outs and no production comes from the bottom of that lineup. You just can't have that. And, and Kike is much better at getting, at least putting the ball in play, which is something that we just can't say about those bottom three guys at this point. Yep. Um, moving on to the rest of the starting pitching. We focused a little bit on Garrett Richards uh, today, but you know the rest of the starting pitchers have actually been very solid as well. I was wondering who has caught your eye in a good way? Well, Garrett Richards, of course. Aside from Richards. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, I mean, Erod and Evaldi have been good. Um, Martin Perez in his last start, five innings and seven strikeouts, was really strong, but he's just really inconsistent. And I think Pavetta's pitching over his head. So, I mean, it's Richards to me, but I was kind of expecting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erod, it's been nice to see his success in the spring training with not walking anybody carry over the regular season. Um, even in the game where he gave up eight hits, he didn't really walk anybody. So that was good to see. It's just his stuff was too hittable. He was too in the zone there. So uh, there's pieces of Evaldi and Erod that I've been impressed with, but overall it's, it's Richards. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, the guy who I'm starting to come around on is Nick Pavetta. Um, I definitely looked at his first few starts and, you know, the thing that stood out was the amount of walks. And I was just like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't know. The strikeout to walk rate for him is, uh, strikeout minus walk rate is 7.7%, 24% Ks, 16.3% walks. That is unsustainable. That's an unhealthy amount of walks. I do think it's more than what he will do eventually. I, I feel like there's some positive correction coming. 17 walks versus 25 strikeouts is just a lot at this point but i like this stuff man the fastball is the best fastball that i've seen uh him have since he's been in the big leagues and you know i I know he's had some productive years with philly but it seems to be back to good good uh pavetta in philly levels and then the slider and the curveball have been really solid for him uh this year i just i like both of those pitches um they seem to be effective striking guys out, generating whiffs. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of buying into Pavetta, and especially after he was able to kind of outduel Jacob deGrom in his last uh, outing there. I mean, it, it, let's be honest. He didn't outduel deGrom. I was um, going to say, that's strong words. <laughs> yeah, but zero earned runs, uh, three walks, seven strikeouts. Um I think what's more important there is that he believes that he can kind of do it right now. And his last three outings have been two earned runs, two earned runs, zero earned runs. Um, the confidence with him is sky high at this point, And I think that that's only going to feed into him continuing this little breakout here in Boston. I'm not so sure. So you're still skeptical. Yeah, well, his stat line is so weird, man. I just don't know what to make of it. Like, so 4% home run to fly ball rate is significantly under his career average. So that, to me, would tell me that he's just not allowing the ball to get hit in the air. He only has a 33% ground ball rate. So Yeah, and he's got a 233 Babbitt. None of those things are going to be sustained. Yeah, so it seems like there's correction there. But as you pointed out, his walks are like almost double his career average. So it seems like there's some correction there. So if he's... Not walking people, um, then is he? Does that ground ball rate kind of correct a little bit, and he continues not to allowing you know home runs, which has been a big issue for him in the past. You know, he's always had kind of some big swing and miss uh, outings and potential to him, but then he just gives up a bunch of bombs, which he hasn't done this year. Like yeah, but then his expected ERA is four forty five, and his xFIP is four ninety eight. So it, which is probably heavily attributed to the walks. So is it kind of like out of balance? I just I just don't know what to make of it. <laughs> there's there's stuff that screams red flags, and then there's other stuff that probably has some positive regression to it. I just don't know. Yeah, if if I'm gonna if I was like assessing this for fantasy baseball, and I'm putting on like my cold objective uh, goggles here, I'm gonna look at Nick Pavetta's stat line and all of the weird things going on with the. Babip and the left on base and the home run to fly ball rate. And I'm like, yeah, stay away from this guy. He's clearly a sell high. But watching every one of his starts, that's where the intangibles with the confidence starts to come in. And like, I think there could be something there. That being said, I realize that I am going to look at this situation with like rose colored glasses because I want it to go well for Nick Pavetta. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the numbers. The numbers don't support it. This is totally a gut feel call on my part that this is going to continue in a positive way. Well, you know, a wise person once told me that when you look at something through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. That is, uh, that's accurate. Wow. It's deep. deep. Yeah. Wanda the Owl from Pojack Horseman, man. Oh, okay. Good words. Good words. <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, we, we've, we've given you some wisdom. We've covered off on some good things. It's time to uh, get to some bad things. We buried the lead here today. We need to talk about the bottom <laughs> of this lineup. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to give you the raw numbers, Keaton, and you can give me your reactions here. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, batting line this year, 200 batting average, 259 OBP, 320 slugging, 
One home run, six RBIs, 62 WRC+, and a 34.6% K rate. Um, okay, that's not great. Hunter Renfro, 191, 250, 309 with two home runs, 11 RBIs, 54 WRC+, and wait for it, I saved the best for last. Franchi Cordero, 158, 213, somehow slugging lower than his on-base percentage, 193 with zero home runs, five RBI, and a 14 WRC+, and a 41.9% K rate. Woo. Yeah, okay. Tough. So I got some questions for you. Question number one, Keaton. We've looked at all of these guys and we see their their numbers and we've watched their struggles. Who are you most concerned about of this group and why? Um, you know, I think Bobby Bouncy Balls because I don't think they have a great alternative option. Um, Cordero and Renfro. Um, I mean, you could even toss Marlon Gonzalez in there too. He's hitting 189, but uh, is like third on the team in walks, so he has an OBP over 300, but he still hasn't had a great start to the season. But um, Jaron Duran is on his way at some point soon, and he can take those outfield at-bats. And I think we all have hoped that it's a pretty low bar. It shouldn't be hard to get more production. Uh, Dahlbeck, the only other solution is Chavis, right? I mean, yep. may, maybe Marwin if you would move him, but he, I don't, he's kind of like replacing fire with more fire. So um, I, I think there's more pressure on Dahlbeck to figure it out. Because he's not as easily replaced as the others. So let's dig into that. The the old Dahlbeck versus Chavis comparison here. Because you're right, that would be the logical place to go. Um, if, if he is going to be replaced at any point. Um, first of all, the defense from Bobby Dahlbeck has been fine. Um, you know, at least by my eye test, it's been fine. Um, he has graded out as a negative defender. Uh, to this point, over 2020 and 2021 uh, combined, he's got 46 games played, 173 plate appearances. In that time, he's batting 232, 312, 465, with nine home runs. Uh, eight of those home runs came last year. He really hasn't had any success this year. Um, over the course of that time, that's a 110 WRC plus if you combine both of the seasons. If we look at Michael Chavis, though, uh, he had substantially more time to kind of try things out. Um, 2019 and 2020, 540 total plate appearances, 137 games, 23 home runs, 241 batting average, 304 OBP, 424 slugging, 87 WRC+. I am confident in saying, Keaton, that I don't think we've seen any hot streak um, from Bobby Dahlbeck this year. We did see it last year, and his highs were higher than Chavis's highs. I still am more confident in him long-term than I am in Michael Chavis, and I think that because we gave Chavis such a long leash here, we have to give the same consideration to Bobby Dahlbeck, especially because there's like no real benefit to Chavis. We know exactly what it is, and... Bad Chavis looks exactly like bad, you know, uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. So why not, you know, let let Dahlbeck try and figure it out up here? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't disagree with anything that you said there. So would you make a move if if it was up to you? Would you would you let it play out or would you make the the switch? Um, I mean, not anytime soon. If Chavis kills it the first month, month and a half at AAA, then mm-hmm. sure. And if Dahlbeck is still performing at the rate that he's performing, then I'd start to think about it. 
and might be more inclined to make a move. Um, but, I mean, like you said, we, we know what Chavis is, so um, there isn't anywhere else to go there. So that's that's why I think, um, I guess, platooning Cordero and Renfro when Duran gets called up makes more sense. And Dawa, who's going to be given the at-bats. The thing that is uh, frustrating from my end is the one thing that Dahlbach always did better than Chavis was walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last year at 11% walk rate. This year it's only 6%. It's cut in yeah. half. It's not walking. I mean, he's, he reduced the strikeout rate uh, 8%, which is a pretty impressive. <laughs> over. There. So he actually he played in... Uh, 23 games last year. He's played in 23 games this year, and the walk rate's down 8%, which is great progress. Uh, but he's just not getting on base like he is capable of. So I agree with you. There's I have more faith that Dahlbeck is able to turn it around, um, but I still think there's more pressure on him to succeed because um, they don't have anybody to fill his slot, which also kind of lends to he's going to be given – you know, many more at bats to figure it out because yeah. there isn't somebody rushing behind him to take his spot. So, uh, I think that he will figure it out. And you're right; he we haven't seen a, a hot streak from him. I mean, the hot streak he was hitting through the first like eight or ten games last year was hitting like 450. Right? I mean, it yeah. was a pretty sustained hot streak that was a little ridiculous. But, um, so I mean, that's we've seen him at his best, and it's really freaking good. So and with the strides that he's made here with his strikeouts, if he can get the walks back up to where they were, then I think his overall line would just be in a so much better position. Yeah, I agree. And in talking to people who cover the minor leagues and have watched a lot of Bobby Dahlbeck as he's come up through the system, what they say is just like wait till Dahlbeck gets hot and wait till Dahlbeck figures out the level. And that's always kind of been the thing about him is that he he does take a little bit of time to figure out whatever new level he's at but once he gets hot you know the the ball looks like it's a beach ball to him um, and the hot streaks are just so high so yeah I think that the Red Sox best best uh, course of action here is to be patient with Dahlbeck continue to work hard with him in the cages and and try and fix whatever's going on with him it does seem like there there could be a potential swing issue his head seems to be coming off the ball a little bit the broadcast has uh put uh pointed that out a couple of times so we'll see um i guess the guy who i'm most worried about out of this trio is franchi cordero um and initially, you know, at the beginning part of the season, I was liking what I was seeing from him because it seemed like we were getting a guy who wasn't this all or nothing slugger that, you know, we were kind of promised. However, uh, Franchi looks completely lost at the plate to me. He's striking out way too much. His bats are non at bats are completely non-competitive at this point. Um I don't see how they can continue in good faith to run him out there. His defense is is fine, but it doesn't, you know, it's not otherworldly. It's not even close to Hunter Renfro level defense. Uh, I I just, I can't see them continuing on with this. It seems like, if anything, he's got to be the short side of a platoon. I, I don't know. Maybe you can't even platoon him at this point. I don't know how you justify continuing to run him out much longer than this because he's pretty much an automatic out at this point. Well, who would they turn to? I mean, I mean, I if guess... it's Duran, I'm for it. Like, I don't even need to yeah. see him warm up in AAA. I'm just, I was ready for him to break camp with the team. But uh, I also, you know, I'm really excited about him, so I kind of get it. But like, like I said, the other option is uh, – Kike Hernandez or um, Marvin Gonzalez. And Marvin Gonzalez isn't doing great. I mean, at least he's walking, but uh, he's having a tough time with it at the plate, too. And I mean, we just talked about Kike, who would be a bit of an upgrade, but his bat's already in the lineup. So it's like you're not really replacing it there. So I just I don't, I don't know who you turn to. So I guess if it was me right now, I would play Kike in center field. I'd play Verdugo in right. Um, and then I'd have, 
Renfro in left field or right field. Um, I'm not, you know, maybe I play Verdugo in center and and Kike in left. So, some combination of those guys. Probably I, I'd leave Renfro in right field because he's been pretty good over there. Um, and I would play Marwin every day at this point and play Christian Arroyo every day because what we're getting from Christian Arroyo at second base is awesome. Um, defensively and offensively. He's been one of the biggest positives. I just, I don't know, man. Like, you can't continue to run him out and get no offense from from all of those positions. And we already pointed out, like, you kind of have to let Dahlbeck figure it out. I don't think you can have three guys figuring it out. And at least with, you know, Hunter Renfro, he's playing great defense, and we've seen him put it together at the major leagues. We've really never seen Franchi Cordero put it together at the major leagues. No. I think, you know, the if you work it that way, I think that actually does make sense. Put Kike out there and Arroyo at second, that is a significant upgrade. And that, I don't I think, think that's what I would do, at least until <clears throat> Duran is ready. And then at that point, you might leave Christian Arroyo at second and then go Verdugo, Duran, Kike. It seems like Duran is inevitable at this point, though. And it seems like three to four weeks, that's it. Like, if if these guys continue to struggle, it shouldn't he's even up. be that long. It should be quicker. <laughs> it, it probably should because, you know what, I'm looking at the numbers right here of, and I know that you're a big Renfro fan, but, like, Keaton, his OBPs over the last few years, 252 last year, 289 the year before, 302 the year before, 284 the year before. He's not a good hitter. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to stomach that OBP when he's hitting 35 bombs. Sure. But when he's not and has a 30-whatever strikeout rate, it's pretty tough. Yeah, it's just not great. Over the last 442 games he's played, his slash line is 223-286-470. Yeah. And you can tolerate the 470 if that's happening, but... Right. You know... It's if not. it's not happening, which I thought it would be a nicer transition, I thought um, his style of hitting was like perfect for Fenway, and he might even throw a handful of doubles in there too, but he is not. So um, Danny Santana, though, he's the other guy we haven't talked about yet. Um, oh, yeah. The Red Sox signed him. He's 30 years old. Um, he was injury-riddled last year. Um, but he came off a really good season in 2019 where he batted 283, 324, 534 with 28 home runs and 21 steals. Um, by far the best year of his career. Uh, he can play multiple positions, which is another cool thing about him. I mean, he's played outfield. He can play a little bit in the infield. Um, over the course of his career, he's played first base, second base, third base, shortstop, left field, center field, right field. Wow, yeah, he's really played everywhere. Um, but, you know, this guy, I think, he's he's heading out for a rehab assignment, first of all. He's going to be at High A Greenville um, for a rehab assignment. And if things go well for him, I think that's the guy we see before we see Durant. And I think we see Danny Santana ASAP as soon as he's ready. Yeah, that's probably accurate. I mean... As fast as Santana would be ready for the major leagues doing a rehab assignment, I would like to see Duran just as fast. <laughs> Why not both? Yeah. Uh, but you're right. That's probably the way it's going to go. Which I think, I mean, if you're getting 2019 uh, Santana, then I think that outfield of like Verdugo, Duran, and Santana makes way more sense. But, I mean, that year came wildly out of left field. It did. Him. So it's really hard to... To hope, I mean, I'd take even eighty percent of that. It's still pretty darn strong. So, <laughs> I he think did it nothing on... like that the rest of his career, though. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's what healthy Danny Santana is, and you know, last year he definitely had some injury issues, and he's still currently working his way back from them, then I would feel good about that. But uh, if not, then you're kind of just getting more of the same, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It it seems like. 
the year that he did really well in 2019, he played mostly center field. I can't see him being, I don't know, do you think he'd take over center field right now with how well Arroyo is playing in second? At second, you know, you don't really want to put Kike back there. I don't know. Where do you think he'd play? Um, initially, I thought corner, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe left field? Yeah, maybe that still makes more sense. Yeah, probably left field where Franchi would play. So you're probably looking at Santana, uh, Kike, and Verdugo with Renfro on the bench. I mean, if Danny Santana's yeah. healthy, that's that's way better than what you've got right now. Yeah. And for what it's worth, he does strike out a lot too, though. He's Even in the year that he, he had all that success in 2019, he had a 29.5% strikeout rate. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's a career 299 OBP guy in Danny Santana. Looking a little bit more long-term, Jaron Duran, even if he's raw as hell, seems like the answer this year and fast. Yes. Agreed. And that's like, that's... If you're not getting 2019 Denny Santana, then you just have another uh, Renfro, Cordero, even Marwin, Dahlbuck type guy, which I think they have plenty of, personally. So let me flip this question around a little bit um, before we get to some of the listener questions here. Out of the three guys who are struggling mightily, Dahlbeck, Renfro, Franchi, do you have any thoughts on who is most likely to turn it around out of that crew. Do you have any more confidence in one of the guys? Yeah. I mean, we just talked about Dahlbeck. Cordero, we've never seen him put it together, so we don't know what good Cordero looks like. And it's looking more and more like what he's done at the major league level is just kind of it, even though it's yeah. just been in bits over a bunch of different seasons. And then uh, Renfro, I mean, his peak is like – uh, 310 OPP with 35 homers, and it doesn't feel like that's what you're getting this year out of him. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Bobby Dahlbeck has the higher ceiling than all of these guys. Best skill set out of all these guys. Um, yeah, just he's the best out of out of all of them. So stay confident with Bobby. It, it's it's interesting. I feel like he gets more hate than the other two guys too. Um, you know, maybe that just comes with the expectations of being a high-level prospect, but you know, it seems like he's he's wearing some of that pressure right now. He might be. <clears throat> All right, so uh, let's move on to our listener questions here. Um, we have two from Angel Rondon, and he says, "Does Verdugo have a better season than Mookie Betts this year? Still love Mookie, just wondering." What do you think? Any chance that that happens? I think there's a chance, but I mean, Mookie's a very good baseball player, so I, so I would I would bet that Mookie has a better year. What is Mookie's current WAR right now? Um, was that or are you quizzing me or legitimately asking me? No, I was just legitimately curious. I, I just looked it up. It's 0.7 war so far. He's batting 250, 367, 424. Um, and Verdugo is outproducing that. Um, Verdugo has one war so far, 306, 369, 490. I will give it... Let's put a percentage on this. I'm going to say... 30% chance that he outproduces bets this year. I'm going way less than that. I was like 12 or 15. Okay. I mean, even with the starts, like Verdugo's line right now is kind of what I expect that slash to look like at the end of the year. Mm. Um, bets was hurt for a bit and missed some games with some soft issue injuries, which tend to linger a bit. So I think he's going to turn it on and, and have just like a super hot, few months here and that'll correct that slash line yeah yeah you're probably more on the money i'm just giving a little bit of love to my my boy 
Um, I mean, Angel Rondon. Oh, so go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, falling short of outproducing Mookie Betts, though, is not a bad season. No, the guy averages <laughs> like close to 10 more a year, it seems like. It's, yeah. You know, that's it's totally fine. Um, you think, I guess, before we close the book on this part of the question, um, Verdugo, over or under five war this year, according to Fangraphs? Over. I mean, I, I was feeling he was like a six and a half, which is pretty good. That's not just pretty good, man. That's like a legitimate all-star. Like a really, really top flight all-star, actually. That yeah. would be excellent. Yeah. 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 I I love it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing Verdugo by any means. I'm just... <laughs> Mookie Pence is really good. <laughs> yeah. No. It's totally legit. I'm taking the over on five war as well. Yeah. Uh, his second question says, has Bloom shown enough to be trusted and was he tanking in 2020? No. Um, to the second part, um, I don't mean he hasn't really done much either way. But, I mean, you and I have talked from the beginning, and I've always said from the beginning of when Bloom was brought in, this next offseason is the one where right. I'm going to believe or not because he immediately came in and was clearly told, that's got to go, you got to reset the cap. It's not... <laughs> not much he can do about that. And then 2020 rolls around. You have to, uh, or well, then finally 2020 kicks off. You got to reset the cap. Um, then you lose Erod and you lose Sale and you have no depth in the outfield and pitching. Um, so there's not really much he could do about that. Then we get to this offseason and they're still close to. Um, the cap and they reset, so they're not about to go over or go back over for a team that I don't think can win the World Series. And maybe they do think that this. I mean, they've been pretty optimistic about this team uh, all off season, but there was no one out there that I would have felt good about signing to go back over the cap anyway. Um, they have a ton of money coming off the books, and this free agent class is way more exciting. So when um, they said that they wanted payroll flexibility. Uh, if they don't spend it in this upcoming offseason, then I will have believed that that was just lip service and trying to spin trading Mookie Betts in any kind of positive way. And I think I'm going to stick to that and say I will have a verdict after this next offseason. But I don't think he's done anything overly negative um, yet. So there's no reason not to trust him. Yeah, I, I'm probably a little bit higher on his performance so far than you are. Um, I liked the return for the bets trade, even though, you know, ostensibly I didn't like the bets trade, but I liked it more than most everybody, I guess. Um, yeah, you did. <laughs> and and I do love how he's added depth, and I think you outlined a lot of the things that he had to deal with right away. I mean. He didn't know there was going to be a pandemic when he took this job. He didn't know that he was going to have two guys out for the year, like you said. He didn't know that he wasn't. He was going to have to spend so much of his time just figuring out the logistics of running a baseball team through a pandemic, let alone trying to add to the roster. So we saw what a, a relatively, and it's like I'm doing air quotes right now, relatively normal offseason uh, looked like for him this year. And some of the finds have already been spectacular. You know, Garrett Whitlock comes to mind. And, um, you know, Sawamura was a nice addition. There's just like the other little Garrett. things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it's um, the things around the fringes of the roster, what I've been impressed by. And you have to look also at that workman trade from last year. That has paid off in spades. So, yeah. Um, I am very impressed with his process and, and definitely agree with you. He was not tanking in 2020. Uh, he just was dealt a poop sandwich and had to eat that sandwich. <laughs> yes. All right. Our last question of the day comes from Tyler Vest, and he says, why is Adam Ottavino the way he is? Walks, man. Yeah. Walks. That's it. He's a... Uh, he's, a tad bit wild. We talked about the similarities between Ottavino and Barnes, and uh, now that Barnes is throwing strikes, Ottavino's the new Barnes, so buckle yeah. up. 
All right, Keaton. Uh, anything you want to say? Any closing thoughts before we get on out of here? Um, no, I don't think so. Let's go win some ball games. All right. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you making us part of your routine. And, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell your friends. And thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with you next week. Thank you.